Today, I want to just jump right into the text. I'm going to begin in Genesis 1 as we wrap up our summer rest series. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God saw all that he made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So we jumped into the story here. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. We read then in verse 2, By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. Now, it is very, very important that we have a good understanding of the Genesis account. This was a story, and we'll get to this in a minute, that was written to slaves in Egypt. This was an account of the beginning. This story, it has been said often of Genesis, where there's always debate over how literally true can we take it, right? The reason why that ever gets called into question is not questions of like evolution versus creation. Those are just sort of like modern, very Western things. The church fathers from the very beginning have been talking about this because names literally are directly represented as like the, like the first man or the way the thing is written, the rhythm of it is exactly like Hebrew poetry. There's the sense that the point of the beginning of the story, the point of Genesis 1 is that it's true. Right? It's, it, it's true and it remains true. And we sometimes in the West are like, is it literally true? Or is it like true in essence in what it's trying to communicate? And the scriptures, especially the Hebrew people, tend to just respond to that question, yes. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day. He blessed the seventh day, the rest day, the God of the universe. I mean, this is already not a good look for this Hebrew God in light of all the other gods that are competing, the Egyptian gods and the different stories that are being told about what the deities are like and what nature is like and like the world is like. People have always been telling these stories even to this very day, even if they are without a supernatural sense. This God takes a rest and then calls that rest day awesome, sweet, sick. He stops and blesses the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all work of creating, of the creating that he had done. God kicking back, celebrating and delighting, like pulling up a chair. God works for six and rests one. There is a pattern, apparently, if we're to trust this story in all of its brilliance, it, it, it establishes a, a pattern built into creation. Notice two things. God blessed the seventh day. The blessings that have come so far, the blessing of animals, blessing in people, and a blessing to multiply. It's all about blessed to be a blessing. It's all about multiplication. Apparently, Sabbath has a life-giving ability to make more life. And this is true, right? Right, just on the face of it. Life is tiring. Even if you have a dream job, even if you love your work, no matter how much you love it, you need to be refilled. And if you think you don't, you have a problem. 
You need to be refilled and refreshed. This, apparently, this blessing of this day, if we look at the way blessing is used already in just the short beginning of this story, it brings life. Blessing brings life. Two, we're told that God made this day holy. Can you say holy? Now, there is this way of understanding Scripture. One of the things that's really important is called the principle of first mention. I never heard this before. The principle of first mention says if you want to really get your handle around a concept or an idea, you need to go back and look at the first place that it actually appears. As we try to illustrate as best I can Sunday after Sunday, the writers of Scripture, there's just so much brilliance. Yes, you can just sort of open your Bible and pray that a spirit would move and speak to you in some way through that text. And that's a powerful and beautiful thing about the nature of the Bible, about having it translated in our own language, about having transliterations that simplify the language. But there's a reason people study the scriptures. There's a reason there is like commentary upon commentary upon commentary. It's because there is so much depth and nuance to even how things are written and lettered and number systems and all of this. I say all of that because the, going back and looking then at like the first time this word holy is mentioned is a strategic thing. The way the writer includes this. This actually speaks to something um, different than the word holy or something being set apart is often used. It sets a tone. What does God make holy? Well, it's right here. This is the first time the word is used and what he makes holy is time. In the ancient Near East, when this is written, the gods were found in physical space, mountains and shrines and springs. So reading this, it's at the climax, like God shows like the, the thing that he made holy, the climax of this opening story is that God makes time and sets this time apart. Abraham Heschel writes, Sabbath, Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. Sabbath is architecture in time. It's an actual period of time where we stop, a time where there is like a life-giving like spirit to it all. That there's actually something we are building in physical time. I want to kind of show my cards. Like I'm setting this all up and like saying the same thing over and over. And like I get it. Time. Set time apart. Don't use your pastor voice, Andrew. I get it. I, I, I want to just like pull the veil back like just real quick. I'm saying this because too often... We immediately jump to, yeah, Sabbath is just sort of like, you know, whenever I can get it. Sabbath is a state of mind. I can find rest anywhere. It's just not, yes, you can find rest anywhere. Yes, schedules are complicated. But let us be very clear about what the scriptures and how the scriptures speak of it. We'll come back to this in a minute. This story is told as this reminder to these folks who were enslaved by Pharaoh, who are, their entire worth is wrapped up in the amount of bricks that they can produce and the amount of work that they can do for the Egyptians. And it's just almost as if like, this is an invitation uh, to withdraw from the anxiety system of Pharaoh, the refusal to let your life be defined by production and consumption and the endless pursuit of just private well-being. 
There's an opportunity here, and we're going to see the invitation to take God up on this rhythm that he shows us. Exodus 16. God, we see here, commands the Sabbath. Then Moses told Abraham, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it is. Then we read in verse 21. Most of you are familiar with the story, right? Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much. Two omers for each person. Love. You guys had the new omer at Shake Shack? The new manna? Oh, it's sick. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Holy, set apart, dedicated, an entire day dedicated to this. Not just rest, but dedicated to worship, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. This is our grid when you think about what can I do and can I do on Sabbath. Rest is one axis and worship is the other. Nancy Sleeth says this, to take a Sabbath, simply define what work is for you and don't do it that day. But let's be clear. Sabbath is not the same thing as a day off. A day off, in our culture at least, is a day that you don't work for your employer. It's a day that you do errands. Maybe you do play. You shop. But on Sabbath, we rest and we worship. On Sabbath, we rest and we worship. This is new for some of us. It was new for Moses. We get this like really clear sense of what he's supposed to do, like a preparation. Verse 23 in the same section, so bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. It's like gear up, prepare for it. You want that day to stand apart. You plan for a vacation and get stuff in order. How many of you are packed like 30 minutes before you leave people? You're on vacation 30 minutes before you left. How many of you are like a day to two days before? What's the rest of you? You're like a week before? Are you all like super planners? A day to two days before. I'm like just, just like, like I do the laundry and throw it in a bag and then go. There's a sense of preparation though. You all know if you're like a little prepared and you slowly prepare, everybody feels better. Even the person like me who's like a last minute packer. You prepare for it. You get ready for it. This thing's coming and I want to be in the right frame of mind. You ever left for a vacation? And you're like in the worst frame of mind. And it takes you like three days to settle into vacation and it's almost over. Yeah, classic. Verse 24, so they saved it until morning. So they baked some stuff, they boiled some stuff, got it ready. As Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. So he's like setting this up. Guys, you're not gonna, we're not gonna find any manna. They're in the wilderness. And on this day, 
We need to double up so we're not working to provide. We're not going out and harvesting any of this food. We're going to store some stuff up. We're going to prepare. Six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day Sabbath there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? Moses, I always love this. Moses like, I told them. Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. He's given it to you. Hold on to that phrase if you're taking notes. God gave you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. It's a gift. It's a command and it's a gift. So is it a command or is it a gift? And again, the answer is yes. It stands as a gift from God. There are gifts from God. If you don't sleep eight hours a night, your emotional health will become challenging. You will be more stressed. This isn't like Andrew or the, even the Bible for those who struggle with trusting the Bible on sleep science. The Bible has nothing to say about sleep science, by the way. It does say go to freaking bed though. But everything we know, every study, like that has been coming out lately, that's been pinging in my world. It's like without eight hours of sleep, the first thing should people do when they're anxiety, when they're struggling with depression, when they're really, really like just having a trouble, like gaining any sort of footing in their emotional health, the first move should be go to bed and eat well and maybe go for a walk. So much of this, right, is this incarnational thing. My point is, is you don't have to sleep eight hours and a lot of people don't. It's a gift to be able to sleep. It's a gift. And when you do it, and when you step into it, life, just to put it frank, like bluntly, gets better. Jesus says it's for us. The Sabbath has been lost. There was no other way I could end this series with not talking about Sabbath. And I know every like two, three years we talk about this. But even as I was reviewing my notes, and my family really has leaned pretty hard into Sabbath, I remind myself again, like just how easy it is to drift from the rhythm and the discipline of do this. Sabbath is this lost art, and frankly, because it is entirely un-American. We know how to work and we know how to play, but how to rest and worship and be refreshed and actually give time to that and say that's more important than closing all of the tabs I have open today, it's hard for us. Sabbath, by the way, is the day that Jesus gets into trouble. Read Mark 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, there's no law against snacking on the Sabbath. There's laws, though, the Pharisees had drummed up these laws about working. They had added hundreds of rules about Sabbath. Like clarity. I'm like, all right. Like for all those who are rule followers in the room, all the ones on the Enneagram or whatever, right? Like the Pharisees were your gift. They were your boys. Because they were like, no, what exactly is work? Well, you can take, they had certain laws in certain areas had things like written out. This is how many steps you can walk on Sabbath. This is where you can work. This is what work shouldn't look like. All of these debates about what work is and the nature of work. If you ever wonder if religious people can like could begin to miss the point, you just need to read the Bible. 
along the way, these Pharisees begin to lose the plot. And this is why Jesus then says, the Sabbath was made for man. Here he is echoing God in the Moses account that we just read. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord. He's referring to himself even of the Sabbath. So I just, I submit to you, the first century Jews needed to hear like the part about, look, 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 we like weren't um, made for the Sabbath. In other words, you're missing the point. This was really helpful correction for them. But I would submit to you, in the 21st century America, in Providence, Rhode Island, on this day, what we need to remember is the first part. Sabbath was made for you, for you to flourish in God's presence. We have the opposite problem. Our problem isn't all these rules about Sabbath. I mean, unless you came from like an interesting fundamentalist-ish stream right now in like Christianity. Most of you, I'm sure, aren't like, man, I think we got too many rules about Sabbath. We're really bogged down a lot of legalism. Andrew, can you help us with our legalism around Sabbath? Right, if you're in that world, great. You should adhere to the second part. Like, don't miss the point of what Sabbath is. It's not about following specific rules. But my guess is that most of you, that is not the issue. To put it another way, we need more rules. We need more guidelines and more boundaries and more disciplines. More things to say, yeah, this is an immovable object. Anybody have an immovable date night? Anyone married who have an immovable date night? Yeah, one person. Great. You should have one. This thing doesn't move. And if it's going to move, if it's got to move, you have to make a compelling case to your spouse to have it moved. Right? We know these are like good rules because our propensity is to drift. No one casually drifts into being more holy. No one casually drifts into being more loving. No one casually drifts into laying down their life more. No one casually drifts into an intentional, beautiful, generous, focused way of life that leads to freedom. It's just not our propensity. We don't naturally drift. We drift away from the anchors that are most beautiful and good and true. So we need to relearn the ancient art form. Mark 3, verse 1. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue. You tracking with me? Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They wanted, they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Again, they've got rules about what you can, who you can heal, how you can heal. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger. Jesus gets angry. He gets angry at the right sorts of things. Deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Anyone got a stubborn heart today? Just a, just a stubborn heart in general. It's just, I'm not going to like clap my hand. I'm not going to lean into the things of God. I'm not going to come forward to the altar. I'm not, I'm showing up to church to check off a thing. I'm like, anyone got a stubborn heart? That's cool, Andrew, I hear you. I've heard you talk about this before. You don't know my life. It's not really possible. That's a stubborn heart and Jesus is pissed at it. Sorry. So angry, Andrew, jeez. Stretch out your hand. He looks at the guy. 
His hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. You guys are missing the point of all of this. This is the day of healing. Your stubborn hearts of wanting to follow these rules or catch me in a certain thing. You are missing the point. You think Sabbath is just a day to like get stuff done and check off some boxes. You will find your life gone like this. And if you have kids, you know this. What if once a week, their entire childhood, you stopped and were present with them and present with them as you were present with God? How many of you who grew up in a home that didn't have any of that, it was just go, 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 go. How much would you have benefited? How much more alive and crushed would you be? The majority of Jesus's healing, this is the whole reason why I shared this, was not any of that. The majority of Jesus's healings take place on the Sabbath. And I do not, and most scholars do not think that is random. For Jesus, Sabbath is a day of healing. That's the day you heal. And it still is. So all I'm trying to say is take a Sabbath. (laughs) Just take a Sabbath. Just do it. Just do it. I think you should do it. Humbly submit you should do it. I invite you to do it. If you're new with us, like, please don't let some weird pastor guy pressure you into taking a day off. For everybody who's part of the family, this is how we roll. And we need this. It takes time. And for those of you who are taking a Sabbath, oftentimes I find you're getting the rest part right and not the worship part. Honestly, usually there's more like, how do I become more attentive to God on my Sabbath? It's different, obviously, for different people. I've shared a little bit over the years of how Corey and I Sabbath and rest differently. We take time to do this. Let me just really quickly just share I get home at around 5 to 5.30. Usually it used to be our plan on Friday when I would work. Now I've taken, our our staff has shifted its schedule, so we work Sunday to Thursday now. So Friday becomes what is, for most of you, your Saturday, because I I have a gig on Sunday. Um, I'm doing it right now. So, (laughs) you guys all here? All right, just checking. The jokes aren't strong today, I know, but just a little feedback. Friday, Friday. Friday is my Saturday, so I'm with the girls. My wife works part-time. She goes into the office on Friday. I'm with my three little ones. We hang out, we play a little bit. I like take care of some chores around the house, run some errands that are sort of assigned to me. By the way, on Thursday night, we plan out our Sabbath in that day. What are the things? What are the ways we need to get ready for the new week? How are we going to make sure Sabbath is restful? Oh, we have this social thing happening on Saturday afternoon. Is that something we should keep? Is that something we need to actually kill? Where, like, how are we doing? So we talk about it. 30 minutes, Thursday night. Roll into Friday, get my stuff done. 5, 5.30 or so, Corey gets home from work. Phones go off. Straight up, off and out of the way. We usually make pizza together. Get some dough, roll it out. We light four candles. We've talked about this, right? Rest, the rest candle, the reset candle, the rejoice candle, and then the worship candle. This is like really some, I just like candles in the house. That's where this all started from. <laughs> and I was like, let's name them. These are the things we want to do. We want to rest. How would, and then we asked the question around the dinner table every single Friday night. Hey, how do you want to rest this? Oh, I want to do this. All the kids share. How do we want to reset? 
resets a little more for mom and dad, like get ready for a new week. What do I need from the Lord? What do I need from God? What do I need from my time here? We rejoice. Rejoice is the best one. How do you want to play? We want to watch Saturday morning cartoons. We want to make pancakes. We want to get treats. It's like treats, basically. It's great for Corey and I. It's, it's treats, just adult treats. And then we worship. How are we going to worship? And so we, rent, we land our Sabbath in Sunday. I do a quiet time with my daughter. I've talked a little bit about this. We get some chocolate milk out. And we do a Bible study, me and my eight-year-old. It's like sometimes only 20 minutes long. I read a story with my youngest two. We ask some questions about the Lord. That night before we go to bed early, a lot of times kids take a nap. In the afternoon, Corey and I both get our introvert on. It's just life-giving. Every week, the phrase that comes up often is, I feel human again. I feel human again. Sabbath gives the world the energy it needs to go another week. Sabbath, this gift from God, helps us lean into his presence. It helps us get perspective. Sabbath is a way, like, more than a way to rest and recharge, but a way to practice the presence of God and to create open space. And it helps us move to greater hunger and greater openness and greater passion for the beauty of God. And then lastly, it's important to call out that linked with Sabbath, honestly, in the, or often in the scriptures, is the conversation around justice, which seems like a pivot. But it's actually not. If it's a day of worship, worship that does not lead to compassion, to loving mercy, walking humbly with God, to doing justice, it's actually not faithful worship to God. Marva Dawn says this, the Sabbath is not only a festival day, but also a new social reality that is carried back into days one through six, or you could say carried forward. People who keep the Sabbath live all seven days differently. It should wake you up to what God is doing, wake you up to opportunities to love and serve. And like we talked about with the kids this morning, do what Jesus did. When you Sabbath well, you find yourself working from rest instead of for it. And so I want to invite you, one, to make a decision to do this, to commit, if you don't already, to revisit some of your, like, Sabbath schedules and rhythms for those of you that do do it. Ask, is this refreshing? Is this transforming? Do we need to shift some of our practices? Do we have a hard time hearing a sermon like this and actually, like, trusting that God's inviting us to do this? Because remember, as we began, God is found in time, in moments. And so to carve out for all the ways we want to be attentive to him all throughout the week and praying unceasingly all throughout the week, that is something very different that every week we go to summer camp, every week we go on vacation, every week we stop and we breathe and we worship. And so for you, maybe it's Saturday night. I want to invite you to that. For most of you have regular schedules. Saturday night, put the phone down, put it down, take a deep breath. Find out for you what it is as a married person, as a person with a family, as a single person. What is it to begin to step into that rhythm? Wake up in the morning. Maybe you're serving the house for a little bit this morning. Maybe you just come into worship. 
hopefully you get to hear a teaching that's like moderately like acceptable and not heretical. You get refreshed. You come to take communion. You come forward to the altar. Maybe you're not even going through a hard time or you got nothing like really obvious you need to let go, but you come to the altar anyway to receive. Like I just need to come and kneel and give thanks to God and receive a blessing. You come with earnestness and faith. And then you, you, you leave church and you, you take time to reflect. You go for that walk that you've needed to go on. You take time to gather yourself, to reflect. Maybe it's to eat well. You build in rhythms and traditions. If anyone struggles with these things, like hit me up, email me this week. I would love to like have a call, man. I'm so passionate about this because the God of the universe has put this rhythm of six days of working and then rest into the very fabric of creation. And so ever, however it cuts, however you might even just ease into it, I want to invite you to do that. And to take hold of the heart of Sabbath. And that's where I want to land us today as the communion servers come forward. It's opportunity to take hold and behold the presence of God. What we are doing on Sabbath is making room for God. We're making room for God to move and to teach and to convict and to refresh and so I want to just really clearly invite you this morning, as you come to take communion, linger at the front. Come and kneel at the front. Come to the corners to pray with someone or just to pray on your own. Maybe it's as you go back to your seat, like take a, take a knee in the aisle. Like th there is a physical embodiment that happens in Sabbath as we as a people carve out a day to stop. And we can do that here on a Sunday morning where we are carving out time to behold the presence of God, to be refreshed by it. Because the Lord through the Sabbath, it's a better way to say it, gives us what we need for the week ahead. So I want to end with a funny story. Or an odd story. My sister-in-law, this amazing woman, brilliant I don't know how many PhDs she has. <laughs> devout Catholic. Just devout follower of Jesus. And if you know anything about the Catholic Church, right, there's all sorts of questions and conversations on the theology and what's happening at communion. And I can put that all aside. But what I love about it, because the center of the gathering is always the Eucharist. It's always coming to the bread and the cup. And so we're having this long conversation about how there's far more unity than division between the Catholic and the Protestant church when it comes to all sorts of things. And she goes, Andrew, for me, the, the importance of coming every week and having that priest give me the bread and the cup is because I literally need to ingest Jesus for the week ahead. And it was something about the way she began to like wax poetic about this. Again, however your theology lands on this. It was that, like, I need to come forward physically and I need to have, like, the priest bless me. I need to, like, grab the bread and I need to take the cup. None of these little cups you Protestants have. None of this dipping, right? Like, she wasn't saying that. I need to take the cup and I want to, like, just someday, she said, I just want to pour it all over my face. What's she saying? 
This is something not just for Sabbath, right? But for every Sunday when we come together, for every time we gather in our home church. It's just this sense of, Lord, I need you. I'm actually aware of my condition, not lying to myself. And it, and it, and it cuts whether you're in the valley or on the mountain. It cuts whether you have this deep-seated sin. You're like, I got to surrender. I need to come to the altar every week and say, God, take this away. This is killing me. I'm so sorry. I'm broken. And it comes when you're like on the mountain. I'm so full of joy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God is good all the time. You're like in that mode. To come and to go, Lord, thank you. Would you refresh me again? Would you bless me again? Sabbath, like Sunday, like communion, like all of these spaces, there are opportunities that lay before us to lean in, to be full of faith, to be expectant, just to come with open hands and saying, Lord, what do you have for me today? What do you have for us this week? Might I stop and rejoice? And so Lord Jesus, as we take the bread and as we dip it in the cup, as we remember your body broken, the bread and your blood poured out in the cup, as we remember your love for us, the forgiveness of sins, the inauguration of the kingdom of God, Might we find ourselves, Lord, um, open to all that you want to do there. As we come and we put our like knee down in the front, just to f like to physically like put ourselves in that posture of openness, or as we come back to our seat and like we just put a hand up, or, or maybe for all the like Presbyterians in the room, we just like put a little hand, like a little bit up, just like this. God, would you increase our faith and our childlikeness with a spirit of Sabbath, like kind of take over this room right now, if that's something I can pray. How I experience the refreshing, Lord. We know that you have drawn near and that if we draw near to you having drawn near, Lord, there is an opportunity to enjoy the manifest presence of God, an opportunity to allow you to move. And so Holy Spirit, would you come? Church, would you stand? Come up the center aisle, take the bread and dip it in the cup. Christ's body broken and his blood poured out for even you, for the forgiveness of sins. Please feel free before, after you take community, communion to linger in the front, to linger in the aisle, fight the awkwardness to come and simply be with the Lord as we sing. Would you come forward and eat?